You're listening to The New Leaf Project, sharing stories from instigators, innovators, planters and starters from across Canada. Hi, my name is Elle. And I'm Jared. And you are listening to The New Leaf Project. Thanks so much for tuning in and hanging out with us today. Jared, you seem very excited about sharing this episode. You know, I really am. I am. This is, uh, this is a very cool episode for me because I think uh, what I love is we're, we're telling the story uh, of a guy who's a missionary who went overseas to Africa. He got involved in the AIDS crisis, he and his wife. And when they came back, they didn't um, turn off their missionary eyes. And uh, if you want to study the history of this whole missional conversation, it actually goes back to a guy named Leslie Newbegin. And, and so much of this good stuff that the church has been thinking about and, and correcting itself over comes from the idea that if you think like a missionary, things can really start to shift. And so it's what I, what I want uh, people who listen to this podcast to pay attention to is the way in which he uses, um, he sees gaps and he places himself into those gaps. He doesn't hope that the government comes riding over the hill. He doesn't hope that or say somebody else should do something about this. He takes responsibility for those gaps and he and his wife decide to do something very, very cool about what they see when they return back to Canada. I, this is why I'm excited because honestly, L, this is where the spark of, of church innovation comes from, always from a person who sees a gap and then says, I should do something about that. It's a great episode and we are looking forward to sharing it with you. So here we go. What's the gentleman's name? His name's Lynn Cutowitz. He Lynn goes to Cutowitz. my church here in Saskatoon. Amazing. In Lakeview. Awesome. All right, here we go. Here's the interview with Lynn and Jared here on the New Leaf Project. I'm uh, sitting here with uh, Lynn Cutowitz. He is the national director, uh, the Canadian director of Hands at Work Canada. Um, Lynn, tell me a little bit about you were a missionary during the AIDS crisis in Africa. Um, tell me a little bit about your story, how you got involved in, in Hands at Work specifically, but in the AIDS crisis, uh, um, generally in Africa. Yeah, sure. We, my wife and I were living in Calgary, working in the oil patch and, uh, encountered a guy who had just been in Southern Africa, um, through Hands at Work, which was a tiny little organization at the time. Mm -hmm. That was sort of 2004. He just came to our church. He was sharing stories, you know, about all the... The people who were dying, but particularly about all the children who were, you know, they were just discovering at that time how many children were being left behind. Now we know that around 30 million people were, had died or were dying, you know, right at the peak of the crisis and leaving behind, you know, millions and millions of kids. And so he was sharing stories kind of one mm -hmm. by one, name by name. And Jamie and I sitting in the congregation feeling like, okay, this is not something we've considered before, but something stirred in our hearts and we felt that we just needed to follow it up, go see, find out, and really feeling like, like is, can this really be true? I mean, what would it look like if there were millions of children that had nowhere to go? I mean, would that not shake and rock our whole world? And if that's the case, 
you know, we don't want to be in a position 10 or 20 years from now where we're talking to our kids or looking back in our life and, you know, our kids ask you, oh, you were alive around during the peak of the AIDS crisis. Like, what was that like? You must've known and that must've affected you guys. And us having to say, you know, like, no, we kind of didn't know. That sounds like a really intense car ride home from church. (laughs) It was, it was. And we've had many since then. Okay. Okay. So what were, what were some of the first steps that you did to explore whether this is something God was talking? I mean, it's clear from the story, even that it felt like God was talking to Mm -hmm. you, but, but how did you confirm all of that stuff? Well, we were obedient with what we knew. So we went and we went on a trip. We spent a couple of weeks there, met some people. And that's when, I mean, God has always spoken to us, I think, through relationships, through people, okay. you know, that, that really dig deep into our hearts and um, we get a sense of his heart for those people. And that's what happened. We went on the first visit to, to Hands at Work in South Africa. So a group of people from your church yep, went exactly. and saw yep. for themselves. We okay. took some people over, met some kids and just were blown away by the fact that they had done so, that they were thriving, so resilient in a sense contextualized given the fact that all of them had lost their parents, you know, in, in really tragic, tough ways and realizing, man, these kids have tremendous potential. And if you look at 18 million children across the sub, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, the ones that have, that have made it as far as, as these kids have, they were, you know, high school graduates and had the chance to go on further, even though they had gone through all this wow. stuff. The other kids don't have a chance unless these guys you know, take the step that they can, mm-hmm. but they need somebody to support, to be a friend, to come and help them take that next step. And so we just thought, man, what better thing could we do with the next year of our lives than to come and sow into to these, it ended up being a group of 15 or 18 kids for and the so next year. And you made it a, sort of a, a one year at a time kind mm-hmm. of commitment. So what can we do with this next year? Exactly. Yeah. And so you moved to Africa. We moved over in 2006. To South Africa, right? To South Africa, exactly. That's where Hands at Work was started in a little village there called Masoy, and that's where we were working. Okay. Um, and it was great. It was a phenomenal year. Well, it was actually an extremely difficult year personally for Jamie and I to to be away from all our supports, mm-hmm. right? Be mm-hmm. forced to Your sort family. of grow up. Yeah. 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 And uh, <laughs> you only grow up one way, the hard way. And that's how it was for us, living in community, Yeah, you know, exposed our weaknesses, our all our immaturity. Um, and having to face it. And, but we were surrounded by good, gracious people that walked with us and helped mm-hmm. clean us up and pick us up after we were, <laughs> you know, as all our, our mess gets exposed in a community like that. And they were good to us. And, and we, we started to grow. And one of the things we realized was this was good, us coming as Canadians directly supporting African children, but there was something better and something more relevant to a scale of something like the AIDS crisis. And that was finding who are those, we call them Mother Teresa's throughout Southern Sub-Saharan Africa that, you know, really God is prepared to be the ones that are going to lead their communities out. So there were people already on the ground that were responding and, and then you, 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 you talked about scalability, mm-hmm. this idea that we can't just send a whole bunch of uh, Canadians to deal with something, but there was already indigenous mm-hmm. folks there on the ground doing it, but they were not supported. Right. People on the ground, the Mother Teresa's, who are positioned, I mean, to impact and understand and relate and connect to kids in ways that, I mean, I never could. Right. And and, and honestly, I believe, I, I completely believe that those are the ones that God has prepared. He's planted them there. He's prepared them to be the ones to lead it. And so what they needed was, was friends, support, you know, to take 
what they were doing and help them scale it up a little bit more. And that's became the hands at work model. You know, as we move throughout from South Africa to Zambia to Malawi and Zimbabwe and Mozambique, Congo, we realized there's a, I mean, it, the crisis was real. Every village, you know, was particular as we pushed out of the cities, the places right. where all the NGOs were, you found all these rural places that were hit so hard by the crisis, no support, nobody's working there. You've got all these children with nowhere to go. This is really the front lines of the crisis. And yet there were families grandmas, aunties who, had ta- who were taking children into their homes, but they were struggling. It was tough, right? Um, but they were trying to be mothers and fathers to these kids that didn't have any. So if I understand your work correctly, then you moved from sort of being, let's look after kids directly mm-hmm. to let's look after the people yeah. that are looking after the kids. Is that, that an accurate description? Exactly. Okay. And, and then that scaled because then you're creating a support network in mm-hmm. all of these countries for people who are already on the front lines of this, of this AIDS crisis. Exactly. And the primary vehicle for that support was the church. Because where we looked and we saw all these Mother Teresas trying to care for these kids, needing support. The, the gift of Africa, in a sense, is that it's clear nobody else is coming to support. So <laughs> there's no chance for us to delegate out responsibility. There's nobody coming. And that became, in a sense, our message to the church. There's no hospitals. There's no government. There's no big NGO that wants to be in the toughest places. But the church is there. And who else will take responsibility for these children? Who will be the father to the fatherless? It's the church. And so that became really our, our vehicle. Um, and in many ways, the church responded well because the ones living in the toughest places were the ones who had the clearest understanding. It's true. There's nobody else coming. These are our kids, so we need to respond. And so Hands at Work exploded while while you were in in Africa together. Yeah. Uh, But at a certain point, you guys came back to Canada. What was was that return to Canada like? Yeah, that was, it's actually been two years, which is amazing. It was hard to leave because we grew up in Africa and in that community of Hands at Work. That was... I mean, not literally like from infancy, but like... Emotionally, as an adult, yeah, Yeah. right, interesting. Yeah, we were. I mean, we were kids, and we grew up there. That was how we understood our our discipleship with Christ was in embedded in this community, serving and 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 outwardly, you know, oriented towards vulnerable Mm -hmm. families and children. That's what made sense of our discipleship. It was a call, and so it was hard to leave that. But there was again another call, and that and I can't describe it any other way. In that we just knew there was a call for Jamie and I to make it more personal. And that was to open our home up to vulnerable kids, just like the Mother Teresa's were doing on the front lines. We were supporting them, but honestly, without that another level of personal understanding experience, how much could we really empathize? You can talk about something, right? Especially when we're talking about children that have nowhere to go. Ultimately, the answer or the solution to that problem isn't policies, it isn't strategy, it isn't an organization. It's to become a mother or a father. That's the only way. And so we knew that was the next step for us. And that led us back here to Canada to do that. To become mothers and fathers. Mm-hmm. Well, not plural. A yes. mother and a father. Yeah. So so um, you came back, you went to Africa at great cost. You come back to Canada at great cost in terms of your family mm-hmm. and your connections and things like that. And then I, I met you, I only knew you as a missionary from Africa mm-hmm. who were friends with somebody else in my small group. And then uh, you guys came here and, um, and you started looking at the situation in mm-hmm. Saskatchewan 
Uh, but this time you had missionary eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there wasn't a missionary organization founded that takes kids like you, raw recruits, and teaches them. Mm-hmm. But you came here and you saw something. So tell me a little bit about what you saw, specifically in Saskatchewan. Yeah, I think part of the gift of coming back the way we did was that we didn't, there was no sort of opportunity for us to slip back into life the way we had lived it beforehand because we came back specifically to find out who are vulnerable kids Mm. that don't have anywhere to go in Canada what does that look like in Canada and so that led us into the foster care system here in Saskatchewan and connected us to the two boys that have now become our sons and that gave us you know a sort of behind the scenes look at something we just didn't understand before as Canadians we you know we live in a we it's the government that takes responsibility for vulnerable families and children. We pay our taxes. We assume they do the job. We don't know the details, but here we were forced to look at the details. Okay. So I should know better, but I don't. So tell me a little bit about what's going on in, in Saskatchewan. Well, Saskatchewan, I mean, it's, it's a similar situation across the country. Saskatchewan is just our local representation of it here Mm -hmm. where we are. And the situation is that the number of kids coming into care is going up. So what that means is that, children who are not safe in their own homes, whether that's due to violent domestic violence or they're facing abuse or there's uh, just raw neglect. And I think about 80% of kids coming in to care, that's what it is, just neglect. They're not, they can't thrive or survive in their homes. So they have to be taken out. And in a sense, the public sort of knows that's happening, right? We know, right. okay, right. There's, a, there's a problem. There's a lot of kids and, and, mm-hmm. and people need to care for them, but we have a system this is that's assumed. Right. assumed we have a system that's right. taking care of them that's my assumption sure exactly now we we also sort of know that foster care you know we, we there's negative overtones and right so, right know, there's some there's some bad stuff that sometimes mm-hmm. happens in Cinderella's foster care wicked stepmom you right know, and and so like we kind of know there's some negativity but we have a lot of distance from it we maybe don't realize the real source of the problem so kids are being taken out of their homes but the system we created to receive them that was meant to be sort of a, a vessel, a life raft, right. is a sinking ship. Wow. So the homes that are created to receive these children are, are breaking down. So every week, every month, every year, we're losing foster parents at an, an extreme rate. Over the last five years in Saskatchewan, sorry, the last three years, we've lost 30%. And so you can imagine now as the number of kids coming in are increasing, the number of homes able and willing to to welcome them and to receive them and to make a space for them is decreasing. It's so, creating a crisis. So help me understand some of those numbers a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, uh, 30% mm-hmm. are, are leaving. Why are they leaving the foster care system? Yeah, Canada doesn't have a lot of good data on it. The U.S. does. But there was a recent um, study done by the Child Welfare League of Canada that, that gave a little bit of insight. And this is a whole other can of ours, but primarily it's just people are overwhelmed, right? They, they're not able to cope with what's coming their way. So when the homes decrease and the kids are increasing, I mean, there's just, the math is obvious. The homes that exist are stuffed with more and more kids. Now, a foster home was never designed to have, you know, multiple families, kids from multiple families, four, five, six, seven, eight children. I mean, that's just not how they're set up to be, but that's the situation they're forced to exist in when there's not enough homes willing to take the pressure off of them. And so you can imagine for a mom, a single mom, lots of single moms doing foster care or a couple that have, no matter what their intentions were, how great or heroic their motivations were when they started, man, you do that for a few years, four, five, six kids 
over a long period of time, lots of changes and shifting kids in and out, not able to get into a constant rhythm and routine for these children, it wears you down. Mm. Traumatized kids are not, it's hard for any parent to care for kids, but traumatized kids, it's a whole other situation. When you care for kids that have deep wounds, who've been, you know, who've been rejected by the ones, by the people who were there to receive them, it's tough. It, it's, it's a wound that goes deep into the heart. And so what it is to try to love that child takes energy takes resilience, takes, you know, consistency and perseverance. And it's, it's a lot. So the system that we're putting together is burning out mm-hmm. while it's trying to meet the needs. Um, and so, so what you, you came to Canada, mm-hmm. you have these missionary eyes, you saw, um, you saw the system, the life raft mm-hmm. that these kids are, are clinging to, uh, start to go down. Mm-hmm. And your impulse was? Well, you know, I, I should tell a story, a scenario we walked into when we came back. Because we came back just in time to hear about the story of Tina Fontaine, which is a little girl in Manitoba, province next to us, that was, she was taken into foster care. The horrific story of what had happened, you know, throughout her life. There was no space for her. She's put into a hotel Right. So her grandma actually let her go into the system because trusting, you know, she couldn't care for her, trusting, okay, the system's here. They're going to support mm-hmm. her. There's no one, there's no home to take her in. She gets put into a hotel. There's not proper oversight of the hotel. She disappears. She gets uh, in with the wrong crowd. She's raped, found later in a, you know, dead in a, in a bag in, in the river in Winnipeg. And so when that came it's out, it's a horrible story. It's unbelievable. But you know what really surprised me? was not, okay, people were compassionate, it hurt people. But I looked around and I saw people's response and it was a lot of finger wagging and tisk tisking mm. towards the government. Do a better job, change your policies, can't believe these people are dropping the ball. And then missing completely the root issue here, which was that there were just not enough homes. No one was willing to take mm. this child in. The government has responsibility for certain things. They need to administer, there's Absolutely. We, we pay taxes. There's things that the government's meant to do. But what the government cannot do is they cannot create homes. They cannot force people to open their home. They can create incentives. But I tell you, Jared, when we talk about creating mothers and fathers, you don't do it because you're paid. Right. You do it because it grows in your heart. Right. And there's not enough homes to open up to these kids. That's the fundamental problem. And so we watched that and we saw that here in Saskatchewan too. We realized, man, there's there's a huge hole in the system, not enough homes, um, kids aren't being well cared for in the homes that are there, they're, they're overwhelmed. We see there's, you know, healthcare professionals, there's social workers, the government is there, addiction counselors, mm-hmm. and yet there's a massive hole in the system. And the shape of that hole is literally the shape of the church. The church wow. is not at the table at all in a meaningful way. There are individual Christians involved, but the church is not at the table. Now, coming from our perspective from Africa, where we realized we worked with the church to take responsibility for those families, those children that had nowhere else to go, and we saw how brilliantly they did it because they understood the very founding document that created their church says, we will be the fathers to the fatherless. We will be the ones. Our true religion is to care for widows and orphans. They understood it. So when it connected with reality, when that theory of, okay, this is our religion, connected with actual named children that had nowhere to go and they could open it up, open up their homes and live it out, it was like the most powerful thing, not just for the children, but for the church. It brought new life to the churches, relevance to their faith, how it encouraged communities. 
with that background, coming to see what was happening here, realizing, oh man, it's the church. The church is what's missing. And the missing piece is that when, when we think about the crisis, the church in Canada thinks government should solve mm-hmm. the problem. That's the, and, and, and you're saying <laughs> completely the opposite. Yeah, we, we shouldn't be waiting to... I think, you know, being out of our culture for a long time, and I, and I take, I carry this too, we're infected a little bit with something of a disease of <laughs> over-delegation, you know, this sense of, well, somebody else is going to do it. Because we live in a professional society, we assume there's professionals who always take care of something. Mm-hmm. And so that gives us, we feel morally we can outsource things. And that's what we've done with care of vulnerable people. And the church has bought into that as well. Mm-hmm. But there's a problem there, because that's not who we are. That's not part of what it is to be Christ followers. As long as you tithe and support somebody who does it, that's just like you doing it. I mean, there's an element to that. It's good to fund things. Mm -hmm. But this is about it being personal, making it personal. As I said earlier, the truth is when the problem is children have nowhere to go, they don't have mothers and fathers there ready to bring them in. The answer isn't, well, let's fund somebody else to do it. Let's, Let's advocate for a certain policy or a strategy. No, the answer is to become a mother or a father. It's the only way. And, and, and so that's what you and your wife did, became mother and father to, mm-hmm. to two boys. Um, but it didn't stop there for you. You're, you're taking this story uh, a little bit further. What is our faith? What's the relevance of our faith? What does any of it actually mean? Again, having the chance to live it out. Mm-hmm. It's been so good for us. You know, we've grown, man, it's, it's, it's growing us up. Finally, it's taken long enough. And so I look at that and I see what happened in Africa too. And I realize the impact the church made, but also the impact it had on the church to participate, to live out their faith in a tangible way and address one of the most intractable issues of our time. It, it was so good. And I see the opportunity here right before us. It's almost like the same pieces are on the board here in Canada. You've got a crisis of, we got our two boys. Yeah, we've got a home for them now. But there are thousands of kids here in Saskatchewan in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. And they're over here. And then the church is on the other side, two solitudes that are not connecting. And both of them needing one another, maybe not realizing it, but both of them having something very, very beautiful to offer one another. And I guess as Hands at Work, we thought, well, we've connected the two in Africa. What would it look like maybe to to connect here? Is there some way we could bridge the big chasm that right now separates the church from vulnerable children and vulnerable families? And I think we found maybe a couple of opportunities we could do that. We shared our, our story and how we work in Africa with the Ministry of Social Services here. Uh, um, they are looking for people who are willing to, to participate. You shared your story with like people who are listening here probably don't know that you and I go to the same church. We go to Lakeview free Methodist church Mm -hmm. here in Saskatoon. Um, And you've been sharing your story of, of, of of becoming mothers and fathers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know why I keep pluralizing that a mother and a father here in Canada and, and, and making this, uh, this whole crisis personal for mm-hmm. for yourselves you shared with our our church but you're you're actually working with uh some folks a, as part of lakeview uh to do something more direct right is that yeah part of lakeview and churches across saskatoon to really um to start to respond so part of what the ministry of social services asked us was 
okay, you've got the church supporting vulnerable families and children in Africa. Could you do it here? Would it work here? And of course, we were asking the same question in our hearts. Right. And uh, in faith, we said, I don't know. <laughs> so let's try. Yeah. And so that's all we've been doing is sharing the story um, with churches and the story of what's going on. And, and, you know, we don't have to connect the dots too clearly for people. People understand, man, this is a place for the church. This is. I mean, so many of church leaders understand so many people arrive on a Sunday morning in their congregations. They come, but honestly wondering, what does our faith have to do? Asking the same question that most of society is asking, which is, does this faith, do these people who gather in these big buildings, you know, every Sunday morning have anything to offer to the toughest issues of our time? Or is it just a little thing they do for mm. themselves? And maybe it'll pay off for them when they die. What is this? Right. There's so many people asking that question and not, and in here we've got a chance to answer, yes, of course there's a relevance. Your faith is exactly the thing that can, and this isn't about proselytization. This is about coming in the way of Christ, serving saying to people that have nowhere to belong, come, you can belong with me for a little while. For as long as you need a place, I can welcome you. Hmm. And that's not about saying we have to do it to all thousands of children that are out there, but one, one by one, people understanding, hey, you could do this. And as we do it together, actually, we can address in a way that, you know, most of society cannot address because we as the church are set up for this. This is what we were created for we can address one of the toughest issues of our time. We really can. And so as we shared that story, a lot of people responded and said, yeah, we'd like to be part of that. What could we do? And so we've looked at a couple of ways that we could cross that bridge. And one of them has been to say, well, as the church, we've been largely absent from this issue for a long time. By the way, I feel like it's a good time to say, in the Child Welfare League study, it showed that when, you know, years, decades ago, when foster mm -hmm. care was sort of thriving, one of the primary reasons that foster parents gave for why they do this, this job that is totally thankless and, you know, right. any sane right. person would say, why would you do this? They said, it's my faith. It's my faith. That's why I do it. Today, you know, in the system breaking down, not enough people overwhelmed, faith is not even a relevant response. You know, it's not even a statistically significant response anymore wow. for why people do it. So it's not that, and here's the amazing thing, it's not that people have lost faith. There are people of faith. It's just mm -hmm. that they're not involved in the system anymore. And so, again, it's about finding ways to help people cross that bridge back over into the realm and the world of vulnerable families. And so we've said, look, okay, we haven't been at the table for a while now as the church. Mm -hmm. And before we jump into this, arrogantly or, you know, presumptuously, right. there are right. people who are trying. There really are people right. doing it. While we've been giving it away, mm -hmm. there are people who are taking it up. Yeah, they are. And, and they're mostly called foster parents right. and, uh, and social workers, you know, people that are out there trying. And we criticize them a lot because they fall short. Yeah, they fall short. They do. Of course they do. But many of the reasons they fall short are because we're, we, we put pressure on them by not supporting them. We allow pressure to rest on their shoulders that they just can't, they can't exist under. We force them to make choices and, and be in situations that are very, very difficult. And I cannot say to you that if I were in their shoes, I'd do it better. Mm. So I think the first thing we need to do as the church is just cross over that bridge and say, hey, you guys who are doing it, thank you. Just to say a thank you. Well done. Those these families, remember, are breaking down at unprecedented mm -hmm. rates. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're fleeing because it's tough, because it's hard. And so we want to find the ones that are still getting up every morning and saying yes and say to them, 
you know what? I'm sure it's tough for you today, but the fact that you said yes is so brilliant. It's so good. Because if you don't say yes, none of, no other things or better things are possible. Mm -hmm. Children had nowhere to go. And you said, you put up your hand and said, come, come into my place. You made it personal. Yeah. You made this problem personal. And we want to say thank you. We want to celebrate it today. Sure, there's lots of shortfalls in the system, but that's not the right place to start. The right place to start is to celebrate the little things that are working. And as we do that, as we encounter and interact with people that we're just, you know, we haven't been interacting with for a while, we just trust that God's going to spark things in our hearts. And some of us from the church, as we cross over there, you know, that might be all we do. Maybe we'd stay there and we say thank mm-hmm. you. But some, probably not all, but some, something, something else is going to grow. And there's other ways. There's, there's next steps that we can start to take. Maybe we stay in relationship with a foster family and encourage them. Maybe support them. Maybe it's respite. You know, or some, again, another subgroup might start saying, maybe this is something I could do. And we don't know what can grow out of it. Maybe it won't go there. Maybe it will. But we're just trying to be faithful with that initial step of crossing the bridge and saying thank you. And so you've taken that initial step. And, and just this last Saturday, uh, you, you did something at our church mm-hmm. uh, to, to begin this uh, response. So tell me a little bit about what happened on, on Saturday. Yeah, we had our first celebration day, which was uh, for foster parents in the, you know, in the, in the city, in the region. And there's about 150 in the region. And 26 actually came out to this event, okay. which the social workers were, <laughs> were shocked because it's tough to get, to get people out. You know, people are overwhelmed and, and it's, it's hard to bring people together. Right. When you need help the most is when you're least likely to, to take it, it. Right. Yeah. So, um, everybody was really encouraged and surprised. And we had, you know, probably four or five churches in the city represented volunteering and we set up tables um, and we from people from churches hosted tables they literally brought their uh, plates and napkins and salad and bread and, and things and, and hosted mm-hmm. two or three foster parents depending on how we set up the table that greeted them at the door and received them and we just served them and, and said thank you you know just reminded them how significant what they do really is and you know as a parent especially as a foster parent or caring for traumatized kids you're just constantly feeling like you're falling short. And when there's not somebody there reminding you, okay, maybe you're falling short, but it's not the full picture. You still say yes, and you've got to continue saying yes. Um, and, and, and we're here to remind you how important it is and how good what you do is. Um, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter how heroic you are. You can't, you can't carry on. There needs to be nurturing, encouragement, support. So that's kind of what we tried to do for a few hours with, with families just to see, would it work? Mm-hmm. Would they hate it? Would they love it? And um, it was a beautiful thing. We had 85 foster kids on the oh, kids' wow. side of the church. Lakeview hosted it, which was yep. amazing. A beautiful yep. facility. Yeah. And, and we have a we have a church building that can handle 85 kids, no problem. Yeah, 85 foster kids. Yeah. And they were, you know what? They were the most, it was the most amazing picture. I walked through there at one, sort of halfway through as we were you know, I was pretty busy on the uh, working with the parents that day, but I took time to walk over and watch the kids, and there was just the most beautiful spirit of just peace. It was amazing peace, and I looked at these kids sitting in their circles with just individuals of all ages from different churches, who probably most of them never interacted with kids like this, and playing games, and and just again to feel the spirit of it, and think these are the kids that all the statistics and studies show us tomorrow are going to make up 70% of our, 75%, some think 80% of our criminal justice system. 
I look at them and I think there is nothing inherent in these children that seals their fate to go down that road. There's nothing. These are good kids. The reason they end up where they end up is because people consistently fail them throughout Mm. their life. And that's a burden that I carry. I feel it. I really feel it. It doesn't have to be that way. And here's the thing, Jared, it angers me. Of course I get angry because I think these kids are, these kids are good. These kids are sweet. These kids have so much potential and it could be so different. It doesn't have to be the way that it is. It makes me upset, but it also fires me up because it's hopeful. Because if we realize it can change, then that means that it doesn't need to be this way. We can do things that we haven't been doing and turn this thing around. These kids with support, with care, it's simple stuff, Jared. It's not, this isn't a job for the professionals. This is a, what is it that changes a life? What changes a life is having someone who cares. It's having a place to belong. It's having someone who says, when everybody else is against you, it doesn't matter. I'm for you. Mm. I'm with you. Mm. I believe in you. You look around and, and maybe things look tough all around you, but here's your place where you belong and we can do this together. That can change. And that makes me excited. So if people want to get involved in what you're doing here in Saskatoon, mm-hmm. or they just want to learn a bit more and maybe get involved uh, in the, like, you know, people from all over the country listen to this podcast. And so, um, you know, if you want to get involved, how can they do that? What could they do? What are some first steps that they could take? There's nothing magic to the formula that we're creating. We're stumbling through as blind as anybody is. But there is a trail before us. There's one step in front of us. And we're just trying to be faithful with that. For us right now, that's saying thank you to the people who are doing it. And it's also starting to just get to know some of these grandmothers that have taken in their kids. And so if you're not in Saskatoon, if you're somewhere else, I just want to encourage you to look at what is that next step. Who do you know that's involved? Have a Start with a coffee. Start with questions and just find out, discover um, let your curiosity go. There might be something there for you that you never expected. And make it personal. Make I, it personal. I, I love that, Lynn. I yeah. love that. Thanks for being on the, on the podcast, Lynn. I'm really excited by the things you're doing. I'm excited by the instincts that, that you and your wife have. And uh, I'm excited to get a front row seat to see what happens when someone just starts something mm-hmm. and, uh, and seeing where it goes from there. So we may have to follow up with you in, uh, in, the, in the months and years to come. Um, but thank you very much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And I hope that if you're listening uh, at home here, that you uh, are inspired by this and that you, you do take that first step. I know I'm going to be. So thanks a lot, Lynn. Thanks, Jared. Well, Jared, I see why you were so excited about that episode and sharing that story with our New Leaf Project listeners. Yeah, it's what I think is is just so important to me and really what makes the New Leaf Network tick is, is supporting people who see what's going on in the world around them and they're tempted to do something about it. That's one of the, the major challenges that we have is that we see all kinds of problems, but none of us see our names on those problems. Mm-hmm. None of us see that we have a responsibility. And I just love how Lynn and Jamie took responsibility and, and did something about it. That's what, that's one of the main things I think missionaries have to teach us about it is, is they're not waiting for someone to ride over the hill. They're, they're, they're going in, and, and seeing what can be done. And I, I just think that's so great. Now, L, I understand that, that you actually have 
uh, a personal friend of yours who is also doing something similar. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. A friend of mine grew up uh, with his parents and his aunts and uncles actually making a commitment together as a family uh, that they would foster children. And he grew up um, with brothers and sisters who were from the foster care system and his entire family has just been filled to overflowing with children uh, who need people to love on them and families to be a part of. And it, it was their faith that really um, compelled them to do that. And so he's also carrying on that tradition with his family and just really seeing a need and embodying it um, and being the answer to that need. So hearing this story from Lynn was just so encouraging that, you know, God is stirring this in other people all around Canada to step up and um, in those overlooked places, um, those missed opportunities to really step up in a really meaningful way. And so it was encouraging for me to hear, um, and it was very moving. So, Elle, if people were inspired like you and I were by this podcast episode, what can they do about it? What, what, what could be a next step for them? Well, you know, this is what we do at the New Leaf Network. We want to be connecting with people who are... Uh, sensing that God is up to something. Maybe, you know, for those of you who are listening, maybe you're starting to see gaps around you. Um, maybe you're seeing these missed opportunities. And perhaps it's the spirit that's starting to ask you, you know, what is it that you're going to do about that? How are you going to step into that gap? And so if those are questions and things that are rolling around in your head, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we would love to connect with you and support you. If you know people who um, we should be talking to or interviewing that are filling these gaps right now, seeing these um, holes and doing something about it in our Canadian landscape, uh, we would love to hear from you um, and we would love to support you. Also on our Facebook page, we've got lots of people connecting there. We're loving all of the feedback that we are seeing. Uh, we would love to connect with you there as well. And you know what? If you enjoy what we're doing or even if you don't, we would love to have... Even if you even don't. Even if you don't. We just love the discussion. So rate or review us on iTunes. Let us know what you guys are thinking. We want to be sharing the stories of people across Canada. And so we would love to be hearing from you and people people that you'd like us to be sharing their stories as well yeah if you if you hear of anybody out there we'd love to have them on the show get them to tell their story absolutely so hit us up we're on all the social medias um, but definitely uh, lots of conversation happening over on facebook uh, at the new leaf network so we'd love to hear from you thanks so much for listening everybody we appreciate it and we look forward to connecting with you next time bye-bye Thanks for listening to the New Leaf Podcast. You can find us on the web at newleafnetwork.ca or head on over to our Facebook page, New Leaf Network. We have events, workshops, and conversations happening all the time. We would love if you could join us as we share the stories of planters and starters all across Canada.